0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. His lovely providence worked through Ben as he laid out the sermon series for the summer like 11 weeks ago, and it worked out just so. So I promise you uh, we don 't do we don't mess with the uh readings just to make it uh, push our agenda um, sometimes God just kisses me on the cheek like that so um, two more things I want to say, and then we 'll dive into this passage uh The first one is if you 've been taken advantage of by a church or by a non for profit organization and you know you see it in the news or somebody runs off with all the money. Uh, I'm glad that you're here, and that's not what we're trying to do. And so I just encourage you, if that's what you're worried about, um, just know that um, this process, we're going to be very transparent throughout. And we're more worried that we capture your heart than we capture your wallet. So I just wanted you to know that. The second thing that I would say is that it is tempting to read a passage like this and then think, oh yeah, that's for the wealthy. Like, yes, of course, wealthy people should be generous, but I'm not wealthy, so it has nothing to do with me. To that, I would say there's an actual website that measures global wealth. And on the global rich list, if you make $30,000 in America, you're in the top 1.23% of wealthiest people in the entire world. 30K in America, you're in the top 1.23% richest people in the world by income so this passage is not just for the uber wealthy or for the wealthy this passage is for all of us and we'll talk about this this morning but there's nothing wrong with wealth the danger is trusting in wealth instead of in god so with those things said let's pray and let's ask god to bless our study of his word this morning Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? This is a hard topic for all of us. We all want more. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, instead of beating us down with guilt, that you would enlighten and blaze in our hearts with grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I was pretty new at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, where I was for five and a half years before we started Restoration Southside, uh, we got this very special gift given to us. And it was an anonymous donor, so I don't know who did it. But somebody arranged and paid a very large upfront initiation fee so that my family could join the Lookout Mountain Country Club. And we were so pumped when it happened. Just such a blessing and they took us on a tour to kind of introduce us to our membership. And again, we don't know who the donor was, but the people at the Lookout Mountain Country Club walked Aaron and I around, and we walked through this restaurant and looked out off the mountain, this incredible view. And we walked through the ballrooms, and then they take us downstairs, and we see the workout facilities, and they walk us around, and we see the pool and the tennis courts and the pavilions. I'm literally walking around like in my whole life, never did I think I would have a membership at a place like this. And then as we were walking out, the membership director was kind of taking us to our car. And as we walked towards our car, we walked past this place that is marked clearly as the golf cart parking lot. I looked at the golf cart parking lot and I thought, man, to live on the mountain. You could drive a golf cart to your country club. You would open air, just enjoy yourself, and then you've got this spot right up front. And as I'm walking to the car from my free country club membership, all I can think of is, now I need a golf cart. It happened like that. Not just blown away at, oh my goodness, this facility that we get to use but now I need something more. The reason that I tell you that story is because all of us are like that. Don't you have this sense of this thing that you want? You just need a little more. If I had just a little bigger of a house or a house instead of an apartment, then we'd really be happy. If I had just a little bit nicer of a car, I wouldn't be so embarrassed to drive people around at lunch at work. If I had just a bigger salary, then I could enjoy more. I could get away more, have better vacations, have a better life. If I just had a little more. And every single one of us is tempted to think that we'll find more peace on the inside from more wealth on the outside. And that's what the Proverbs addresses today the temptation it says it promises that wealth will deliver you something that only god can give you temptation promises that wealth will deliver to you what only god can give to you let's first look at the things that we think wealth and money can give us first of all safety proverbs 11:28 says this those who trust in their riches will fall but the righteous like a green leaf. And then it says this in 18, 10, and 12. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it to be a wall too high to scale. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. What he's saying here is that our first tendency is to think that our wealth, our retirement, our bank accounts can be safety for us. They can be security for us. And what he's saying here is that it can't really protect you. Markets crash. Retirements dip. People get laid off. Pandemics arrive. And what he's saying here is that ultimately, your money cannot protect you it cannot keep you safe. It cannot keep the future's dangers away from you. Money cannot protect you. Not only can it not protect you, it cannot give you meaning. It cannot give you meaning. Look with me, Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. 16 and 17 better a little fear with the better a little with the fear of the lord than great wealth with turmoil better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred ultimately what he's saying here is that no matter how much you have even if you're the person who can have the fattened calf and the wine and the oil if you don't have meaningful relationships it won't mean anything to you He's saying that because he knows that the tendency between money and people, we will often choose money, more, wealth. And he's saying it's better that you have relationships, even if you're poor, than to have money and to have no one in your life. He's saying that money cannot protect you. You cannot hedge your bets enough for money to protect you. And money cannot give you meaning. And it doesn't just say that in the Bible. You've heard it. Tom Brady, the guy who seems to have literally everything in the world, he said this a few years ago. Man, there's got to be more to life than this. Jim Carrey said this, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so that they would understand that this isn't it. Brad Pitt, who's probably the coolest guy in Hollywood, tons of money, Everybody looks up to him and wants him to speak and to talk and to, uh, to be accessible to the world. And Pitt once said this, seems like we're headed for a moral downfall. People assume that riches and fame make you happy. And he said, and I'm sitting in it, and this ain't it. This ain't it. And then famously, Rockefeller Somebody once asked Rockefeller, how much money is really enough, man? How much is enough? How much? How, what will you have when it's finally enough? You know what he said? One dollar more. See, it's easy for us to look at these famous people And to think if we had a little bit of what they had, if we had just a little bit more fame, a little bit more money, a little bit more of a relaxed and comfortable life, then we would finally feel whole on the inside. And yet we're hearing from these celebrities who seem to have it all and they're empty, they're sad. I tease with Aaron, I say this often when we go on vacation and we see other people around us vacationing even nicer than we are. And I say, babe, I know money can't make me happy, but I'd sure like to try. And we all have a version of that. We know, yeah, money can't make us happy, but let me have a crack at it. Proverbs is telling us that money can't really protect you. It can't really give you meaning. It's never gonna be enough, no matter how much you have. There's a scene from Unbreakable. If you've read the book, it's the life story of Louis Zamperini. They've made a movie of it. The story of the soldier with this incredible life. It's so fantastic, there are moments you're like, this can't be true, but The history lines up with it. He was a childhood punk, stealing and pranks and getting into fights. Then he joins the military. Years and years ago, it says, on a routine mission, his plane, he's a pilot, crashes into the Pacific Ocean and only Louis and Phil and Mac, or McNamara, survive. And they survive because of this inflatable raft that that fills up and they can live on, but it's horrible conditions. They can see the sharks circling them. The sun is blistering hot. They don't have enough resources. But on the raft, Louis finds this, like, emergency kit. And he opens it up, and he realizes that there's old chocolate that they can break up and ration out. That maybe they'll have hope because if they can just take a little bit each day, then maybe that they'll be rescued in time. And so Louis does the work of breaking it up and rationing it out and sort of laying it out so that the three of them can make it. And then he goes to bed. Some of you remember this scene. When Louis wakes up, he goes to divvy up the morning breakfast of chocolates, only to find out that Mac had stayed up and eaten all all of the chocolate during the night when you're watching the scene you're like how could you do this how could you take it for yourself instead of giving it and distributing it to others how could you live like that so selfishly and yet there's an element that each one of us we want to get what we need first, and then we will think about what others need. Then we will think about the distribution to those around us. What Mac doesn't expose that he's such a bad guy, it actually exposes what a normal guy he is, that we'd all rather take our share first and then see what's left over for others. We think it can give us safety. We think it can give us meaning. We ultimately think that it can rescue us. Eleven four. Wealth is worthless in the day of the wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. It brings to mind the scene where Jesus is standing with the rich young ruler, and this young, powerful person comes to him, and he has wealth, and he's been a good boy, a good man. And he and he says, Jesus, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says, You know the law. Don't kill, don't kill, don't have adultery, don't steal. The young man who's wealthy speaks up and goes, I've kept all of these. Which he's standing before the God of holiness and perfection and telling him, about, I've kept all of these. But Jesus graciously lets him speak it out. And then he says, okay, great. Well, then give all you have to the poor. Sell what you've got and give it away to the poor and then come follow me. And do you remember what happens? It says the rich young ruler went away sad. Went away sad. We just have this tendency that if, if I have my money, I, I will be saved, I will be, I will be protected. And it's saying your wealth can't save you. Righteousness, right relationship with God, that's what will save you ultimately. Money can't give us safety, it can't give us meaning. It can't rescue us. So what can our, our wealth do for us? What can wisdom about wealth do? First of all, it can anchor our security in God. It can anchor our security in God. Listen again to Proverbs eighteen, ten through 12. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Those that are wise anchor themselves in God and His generosity. They don't anchor themselves in their money or their talent. He says, those who put their name in the Lord are a fortified tower. When we were asked to plant this church two and a half years ago, One of the things that kept running through my mind, I'm working at this incredible church, Lookout Prez, and I've seen a lot of healthy churches, and I think, I'm just not ready. I don't have the gifts needed to do this. I don't have the abilities needed to do this. And it just kept ringing in my ears, I'm not enough. And someone graciously shared with me this verse that says, Some men trust in horses and others in chariots, but our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. And it is that verse that got me up every morning to come and do this and work with y'all alongside you. It's not because I knew I could do it. It's because my name, my trust was in someone else's name. Someone's name better than mine. Trust is in the Lord our God. And what he's saying is, take your trust out of your wealth. It cannot provide for you, but instead put your trust in the name of the Lord of God who can rescue you. Who can love you. Who cares for your ultimate destination? How much more so will he care for you now when you're vulnerable? You see, if we're wise, it teaches us to put our trust in God and not in our finances. And then this passage teaches us not just to look to God and anchor ourselves in him, but to look to Jesus what Jesus has done transactionally for us it's one of the best passages in all of the Bible it says this I'm not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor through that through his poverty you might become rich what it's saying is Jesus, the King of all the universe, being worshipped in the throne room of heaven, leaves the throne room of heaven to become a no one from nowheresville, to be mocked and beaten and ultimately crucified. He takes all of your poverty and my poverty and instead gives us riches and wealth and identity in Christ and ultimately a new future where there will be no shortage of resources Ever where everything is abundant, where everything will overflow, where there is more than enough to go around and then some and then some. And he says, that's what I'm giving to you. I will lay down my wealth so that you can have it and I will take up your poverty. Where Paul is saying this, he's actually talking to the church at Corinth and he's telling them about the church in Macedonia. And the church in Macedonia is poor. I mean, they are poor. And he's telling Corinth about this church in Macedonia who, in their poverty, begged Paul, please take up an offering from us so that we can give it to this poor church in Jerusalem. And what is so cool of what's going on here is that there are still the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And what's going on is that in Macedonia, they're saying, we want there to be no distinction we want us to be one church. We're going to give towards the Jewish church, even though things are still awkward between us, because the Jewish church tended to believe you had to come through the doors of Ju- Judaism to get into Christianity, and the Gentile church had no interest in doing that. The Macedonian says, You take money from us, Paul. Even though we're poor, you take it and give it to them. And Paul is lauding them for their generosity. Instead of him having to beg them, they're begging him. Can you imagine? what it would be like if that's what the course of our church was like. Is that instead of us begging you for money, you begging to give and build a culture of generosity so that we can bless the people here and all over the world. That you would demand that of us as your leaders. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. So, It can't make you happy. It can't meet your needs. It can't protect you. It can't save you. And if we think wisely about it, it'll teach us about anchoring our security really in God, the only only security that we can count on if the pandemic has taught us nothing. And to look at the model of Jesus Christ who became poor so that we could become rich, and what would that do to us? What would the church look like if we had wisdom about our wealth? First of all, we give generously because of a refusal to accept that we're running out. Look at Proverbs 11, 24, 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We can give and give generously because we know we ain't going to run out. When Knox was in first grade, his best friend in the world's brother passed away. This tragic disease, tragic disability, and they didn't know how long he would live, but they didn't think it would be so short, and Knox's best friend's brother passed away. And Knox, wanting to bring some encouragement, some healing, something something good in his friend's life, even as a first grader, said to his friend, I am going to buy you the nicest Atlanta Falcons jersey there is. And I'm like, that's so sweet. And I was thinking 15 $20 for the nicest jersey. Knox brings it to me. I found it, $83. And at first I was like, that's a lot but then I realized something my son wants to use resources to bring healing and hope to the downtrodden my son wants to use my resources to lift up those who are discouraged I love that he gave him that jersey I love that that's what his instinct was and that's the posture we should have before God is that we can give and give and give because our God loves to put more in our hands. Our God loves that we would think that he is, of course he's gonna be generous with the world. Of course he's not gonna run out. Of course we're not gonna run out because our God loves to bring healing and blessing to the world. Just so give. We're not going to run out. It's the Father's posture toward the world that He can take what we have and bless and heal and bring hope so we can give and know that we're not going to run out. He loves when you're generous. There's a scene in Schindler's List. It's a very heavy movie, but it's a very powerful movie about a German businessman in World War II. He's a member of the Nazi party. He basically gets into the industry so that he can make himself a bunch of money. He gets a factory. They start producing stuff, cooking stuff. He gains a contact who has links with the underground Jewish business community. As he starts working in the black market to make himself rich, he gets to witness the horrifying visions of the Holocaust and the toil it takes on the Jewish people. And it grips Schindler so much that he starts using his own family resources instead of getting rich to buy, buy freedom for people, to get them out away from the SS, to get them out of Germany. He's able to actually save people by bribing the SS and getting... Over 1,100 Jews out from death in the gas chamber. 1,100 people. Instead of hoarding for himself, giving so that others could live. And there's this poignant scene at the end where they finally realize what Schindler was doing and they're going to come for him and hurt him. And his own team knows that it's time finally for Schindler to leave town, to leave Germany. And as he's standing there saying his goodbyes, he sees the car that pulls up that's going to take him away to safety and he sees his watch and he keeps thinking, with this watch I could have gotten more people out. With that car I could have gotten more people out. In other words, I I missed the opportunity to be as generous as I could be. And now it's gone. And I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for the culture of our church. I don't want us to look up someday and think, we could have done more for the city. We could have done more for the south side. We could have done more for the missionaries. I don't want it. I want our last moment's breath thinking we were confident that if God gave us something, we were gonna try to find a way to give it away or to bless others with it. Joe Novenson said this, when you own anything, when you own anything and you don't think about it relationally, you are guilty. When you own anything and you don't think about it relationally, you are guilty. Just a couple more things and we'll close. This is what C.S. Lewis, this, he says a lot of smart things. This is probably one of his best quotes ever. C.S. Lewis used to give away all of his money, so much, in fact, that his brother-in-law had to take over banking for Lewis so that there would be some left over for his widow. Lewis said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts and luxuries and amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income of our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we'd like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. What he's saying is if you work downtown and got your first professional job and you're excited and you make 40K a year and so does the person across the room from you, that they should be able to have a car. Vacations and an apartment that you can't have because your generosity is getting in the way of your lifestyle. What a beautiful picture for us. Friends, with our resources, we can't take it with us. With our resources, it's not really ultimately what we want. We want to go find more stuff so that we can give more. We talked about a heavy movie. Schindler's List. And now it's important that we talk about Brewster's Millions. A comedy with Richard Pryor from years and years ago. He's a minor league baseball player and he finds out his inheritance is that he's going to get $30 million, but here's the catch he's going to get $30 million that he has to spend in 30 days. And if he can spend $30 million in 30 days, he gets his real inheritance of $300 million. And so we watch Pryor walk through the movie trying to spend as much as he can, to give away as much as he can, to buy as much as he can for the sake of others, because he knows the inheritance is still coming. Instead of me walking up here and awkwardly saying, sure would be nice for the staff if you give a little more. Sure would be nice for the Huffman kids if you gave a little more. Sure would be nice. You guys don't mind giving. How different would it be if you demanded it of us that we were generous? You looked at your leadership and said, Jared, we want you to, we want you to plant more churches. We want you to start more projects. We want you to support more ministries. We want you to give to more organizations. We have this money and we demand that you give it away. What if the posture was changed? That you pleaded with us to give because of what you have been given. Remembering that someday on that great day, you will be wealthier than you ever imagined. You have more resources than you could ever dream. You will have more authority than you ever even thought about. And from that place, how beautiful would it be that you were living like that day right now. Let's pray. And from that place, How beautiful would it be that you were living like that day right?